What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown. We are your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Welcome to our Saturday episode, where we have more of a laid-back episode, as usual. We've got NFL wildcard starting as we speak. The game just started between the Bengals and the Raiders. But we're not going to be talking about that today because we've already gotten into that in our last episode. What we are going to be talking about today is some more NFL talk, but it's about the coaching carousel. As of now, there's been, I think, seven total coaching fires so far uh, since the since the end of the regular season. And so we'll be going over four of those seven because three of those don't really matter. And we'll get to that when we get to it. But we're going to be having that coaching carousel. And then we're going to have a little bit of PGA talk. We're going to be talking about the new Netflix docu-series um, that's, that's coming up for the PGA. And then also we're going to be talking about the century tournament of champions that finished up last week. We've got the Sony open going on right now. So we may get into a little bit of that, but we'll see. So Matt, how are you doing? Doing good. Um, Yeah. just wanted to kind of, you know, for our more laid back episode of the week, kind of get some coaching updates some coaching news because um, the, so the, the Monday after the last week of the regular season for NFL is always known as black Monday um, because it's the day that pretty much all the coaches who were, you know, either, think we were like supposed to get fired or maybe we thought we we're going to get fired. That's kind of like the, the firing day, the, uh, the purge day uh, in the NFL in terms of head coaches is, is, is the Monday after the last week of the regular season. So that was this past Monday, um, you know, six days ago. And so we kind of were, you know, now that we have the finalization of pretty much all the coaches who, who, uh, you know, who've been fired and the open jobs and all that stuff kind of just wanted to get a, an initial read on that um, because mostly because a, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be, doing a lot of the, a lot of football talk going forward, but it's going to be mostly playoff teams. Right. And so um, we won't really have time that much time to, to go over the coaches and kind of who's looking for who and stuff like that. Um, And then obviously we'll, we'll provide updates on these coaches who have been fired kind of when the jobs, you you know, they, they hire other people or, you know, the coaches are moving around or whatever. So um, yeah, but just kind of wanted to get, get it, get a more, a laid back episode doing, doing, you know, focus on the teams that won't be talked about until pretty much the draft. Um, and because obviously well, we have a lot of playoff football to go so excited about that and then obviously golf um, you know right that they, they kind of just started up finished the first tournament last week uh, second tournament this week so um, they're both in Hawaii the, the weather's been beautiful so we'll, we'll get to we'll get into some of that and then um, obviously like Hayden mentioned the, the Netflix documentary which should be really good um, but we'll kind of talk about the pros and cons of that maybe what we think about you know what, what would make it good what would make it bad um, so so yeah so let's jump right in. Yeah, super excited for this episode. We've got some interesting stuff to talk about. So just to dive right in, we've got NFL first. So our first topic here, and I guess really our only topic, is the coaching carousel, as we said. Now, we said we wouldn't be doing all the seven teams. We're going to leave out the Giants, the Bears, and the Jaguars just because a lot of their problems can either be fixed in the upcoming draft or they don't really have an answer right now. Like they can't really be fixed in the near future, especially with a new, a new head coach. Um, believe it or not, not all, not all, he- I mean, not all problems can be fixed with a head coach. So uh, yeah. So we're going to be only doing the Texans, Vikings, Broncos, and Dolphins. Now the way I don't know if this is going to have much of a structure to it, but we're kind of just going to talk about how these, co- these coaches got fired. Um, you know, maybe some p- potential new 
hires that they can get, but we're really going to talk. There's kind of some controversy behind some of them. Um, You know, people are wondering why they got fired or people are wondering, you know, where these guys are going to go next. And so we're, we're, we're going to try to get into that kind of get it dive deep into the, into the situation in, in each for each one of these teams and, you know, really br- break it down from that standpoint. So for our first team here is, is the Texans. Okay. And so they, I think this was the latest, like the most recent fire. Um, it happened, I think yesterday or something, uh, or maybe the day or, maybe the day before that, but yeah. So the Texans fired David Cully, their head coach, who was only a one-year head coach there. He only, he only head coached for one season there. Um, he didn't, I don't think he had much experience before that. And they ended, they actually ended up having a better season than a lot of people expected them to like everybody before the season, you know, the, the whole Deshaun Watson situation that was panning out and it was kind of, you know, it was, it was kind of a downhill off season for them in terms of, their, you know, quarterback situation, and everything. And so they're hot, you know, them hiring um, David Cully was kind of just an unexpected thing. He wasn't really expected to do much, but they actually, I mean, they turned in, they turned a really bad season into four wins. And that kind of sounds like, you know, why would that matter? Um, but I, I really do think that like, and Matt said this kind of in our last episode that David Cully really did a good job at, you know, as, as a first year coach there and with the whole Deshaun Watson situation, like, I feel like Deshaun Watson was already sort of a cop-out in terms of like, okay, this season is going to be bad. We already know it's going to be bad. Um, and so they could have just used that as an, as an excuse this season, but instead they answer by firing David Culley, which I don't think was the right answer. I think you give him more chances because yeah, I mean, he was able to turn nothing into something at least with, with Davis Mills, you know, he had some quarterback trouble. Everybody thought that Tyrod Taylor at the beginning of the season was, he was looking hot everybody thought he was going to be like really good for them. And then he ended up getting hurt. And then Davis mills took over and they kind of like switched off there um, after Tyrod Taylor got healthy again. But yeah, it's like he was working with literally nothing. Like, I mean, he, he turned Rex Burkhead into like a decent running back. Um, So that's, you know, that's just kind of some early takes for you. I'll I'll, I'll hand it over to Matt here for, to talk about more. Yeah. The, the whole, like summary of the Texans last year or two kind of with, with the NFL and just being a team uh, that exists in the league is, is such a hard kind of thing to wrap your head around because so many different things happened and you had so many moving pieces and you had so many, uh, you know, problems or, or, or kind of issues that went on kind of within the NFL of just not having enough talent on the team and whatever. You also had issues outside of the NFL and Deshaun Watson and everything that happened with him. And so realistically that that's kind of the situation that they ended up in is just like a situation of turmoil. Your team is bad. And then on top of your team being bad, your quarterback who like is really the only good positive, you know, aspect of your team um, is now surrounded by who many people were saying, you know, bona fide top five quarterback since he's, you know, since he got in the league. And, and I would totally agree with that, but like now he's, you know, underwater in, in this whole, you know, this whole criminal investigation, everything. And, and still we don't have an answer, right? We thought by now there would be something uh, that came out, but I guess there's still the investigations ongoing. We're not going to talk about, you know, that explicitly, but like, I just think that for the situation that the Texans were in, it, it would, they had no zero expectations. And so I think that was the genesis for the hiring of David Culley in the first place was like, look, 
we, we don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. We don't have a great team to begin with. We don't have a lot of talent. We know we're not going to be able to compete. So let's just grab this guy who's been a special teams coordinator for all his life and, and stick him as a head coach and just kind of, you know, see what happens, right? Just It's basically just a layover year. We're kind of just punting on the season. We're not going to really try to win. Obviously, it's the NFL. You try to win football games. But at the same time, it's like there needs to be a complete rebuild. We need to figure out what's going to go, you know, happen or be the kind of the conclusion here with the Deshaun Watson situation. Um, and so that's why they decided to hire uh, David Culley. And so at first glance, when I heard that he got fired, I was, I was like, I was so mad. I was like, you can't, how can you do this to this guy? All of what Hayden just explained is like, he, 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 he made the team. And I don't know if it was him single-handedly or whatever, but to some extent, the players bought in enough to play hard in all their games. And they won you know, they won four games. They had more, you know, they had more wins than the Giants and the Lions and the, and the Jags. And, and so, you know, all of that stuff really points to the fact that with such less talent and such more, you know, so much more controversy, even out off, you know, off the field, um, it's really amazing what they were able to do. And so I do feel like that to some extent, he, he deserves another chance. And, and it was, you know, it was wrong to fire him and stuff. But I don't know. The more I think about it, the more I'm just like realizing that realistically their whole plan from the beginning was to really only hire him for one year. And if you look at like the contract details and stuff too, he's going to walk away with like, I think like $22 million or something with like bonuses, incentives, and just having the one year deal with the team or whatever. Um, Or or maybe they're even paying him more money because they knew that they were going to fire him after one year, regardless of what the results were. Right. So I think that that's also part of the deal where I'm kind of like, now my opinion's a little bit shifted, right? A, the Texans kind of need to, are at least hoping or assuming, I guess, that the Deshaun Watson thing will figure itself out um, in the next, you know, in the next calendar year, or at least before the next regular season starts, whether that means he, you know, everything gets figured out, he's able to play for them again by the, by the start of the regular season next year, or if they, you know, they trade him to, to play to somewhere like Miami or somewhere Philadelphia, right? Something like that, where they can get a ton of draft stock. They can get a bunch of working, working pieces who are, you know, plug and play and can actually make them a competitor, you know, a competitor, uh, at least in the AFC, in the, uh, the AFC South for next year. And so all that combined, I think it, I think this was their plan from the beginning. And so you can say, you know, as much as you want, well, you know, they won more games than they should have. And, and they, you know, and he, he, he really got the players to buy in. And I do think that all of that's true. And, and obviously I feel bad for the guy, like he lost his job. Right. But I do think that this was kind of an agreed upon thing, just from like the money that he made. And, and then, and the fact that like, regardless of how many wins they got, it, it was still the same result. I think this was just their plan all along. And I think he was probably in on it. Um, but I do think that, right. It, it, it just seemed weird because of how, how much, uh, how much of the la- how, how much expectation there was, which is essentially zero, versus how that how much they actually did. And I think the biggest stat of all that really proves like how, I think how great of a job he did as a coach is the fact that the last year before he was hired, which was also the last full season that Deshaun Watson played, the Texans won four games. Okay. This season, with all the all of the less talent they had, that you know, Tyrod Taylor was supposed to be the quarterback. He got hurt. He came back, uh, or he got hurt. Was out for like half the season. Came back, was still not good, and got benched for Davis Mills. They're playing with a rookie quarterback. They have, you know, Brandon Cooks is their only like actual person that, on a skill position, you know, standpoint that actually has like has some has some name recognition. Um, despite all of this. How many wins did the Texans get this year? Four. It's the same amount that they had the when they had the last time they had Deshaun Watson for the entire season. So it's like it's almost this like 
what is the plan then, right? And so I just went, I just made this whole argument for like, I totally see why the Texans did this. You know, David Coley made a lot of money. Sure, he, he might have gotten the players to buy in, but this was their plan from the beginning. Just hire him for one year and get him out and then we'll just rebuild and we'll have this new plan going forward. And it's like, but here's the thing, dude. At the end of the day, like whatever coaching situation you had before and you and you had Deshaun Watson, you got the same amount of wins you had with like a bunch of no-name guys and David Coley at the, at the, you know, at the helm. So, so that's kind of my assessment of the Texan situation, which is essentially like, it's tough because, you know, you, you can't really then looking at it holistically. Yes, they outperformed what their expectations were. But if this was their plan all along, then you, you know, you kind of maybe have to go with that because they probably have plans for, you know, for, for what they want to do next season. Because I would assume that for all of this regular season, they weren't expecting to do anything. And therefore, you know, hopefully at least the whole time they were kind of planning, looking at other coaches they want to fire or you know, hire for next year, looking for trade pieces for Deshaun Watson, you know, what they can do in the offseason in terms of, you know, free agency and stuff. So that's, that's really my assessment of the situation is like, I, you know, at first I felt really bad for the guy. Then I kind of understood it from the Texans, you know, organizational perspective. And then I was like, well, wait, they just, they did just as well with a bunch of no name guys and a first year head coach who nobody had any expectations for. They basically did the same that they, that, that they did when they had Deshaun Watson at full, you know, full strength playing as hard as he could for the entire year. Um, so, so I don't really know what to do with that, honestly. And I just think that they are until they get, you know, some really, some really stable pieces and, and I guess just figure out the Deshaun Watson situation is just going to be a bunch of mumbo jumbo here going forward for the Texans. Yeah. Another thing to think about, when kind of just thinking about their success this season is that, yeah, they had four wins and two of them were over the, the Jaguars who are in their division in the AFC South with them, but they all, their, their other two wins were over the Titans who are the number one seed in the AFC playoffs and the chargers who are like basically another playoff team. If Brandon, they almost wasn't... came back and beat the Titans in the last game of the season. Like the Titans yeah. were trying full go to try to win that game because if they won that game, they automatically get the one seed. And that's like, so good now that there's you know seven playoff teams in each conference and it was like they had it early Titans up were up you know they were up 21 nothing and the Texans came roaring back and they never you know they never they never just laid down and 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 lost the game so so right so that's another example like that's a fifth win they could have had and then you know two wins over the number one seed in the AFC like that's really impressive yeah for sure so moving on to this next team our second team here we've got the Vikings and Mike Zimmer was fired I think it was just this past week and He's been that Mike Zimmer's been there for eight years, I think. He's been there forever. I mean, to put that in perspective, like I guess you can compare this to any kind of time-based thing. But like, I was eleven years old when they hired Mike Zimmer when the Vikings hired Mike Zimmer. Matt was like fourteen, so it's it's pretty crazy to think about that. Um, it just kind of puts it in perspective there. But you know, it it just seemed like Mike Zimmer. He was kind of like stagnant, like or the the Vikings kind of just stayed stagnant while he was there. Um, you know, they, I think they had a couple playoff runs. I, the only one I can really think of off, off the top of my head is the, is the Stefan Diggs play against the, the saints where Joe Buck is screaming in your ears, Diggs t- sideline touchdown. Um, you know, that was like, that's probably the highlight of the Vikings since Mike Zimmer has been there. Um, and y- you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of confusing because like, and the Vikings themselves are confusing really just because, at right now they have such a good offense and they have such a bad defense really. And, you know, they've got a couple stars on their defense, like Harrison Smith and, and Patrick Peterson. I can't, um, I think like uh, they got, they got Kendricks on the, on the, or at linebacker. I think they still have him. Yeah. Michael Kendricks. And then the D lineman who's really good. Daniel Hunter as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they have Daniel Hunter. And then they, I think they have a, a 
pretty famous D tackle too. But yeah, like their their defense has star power, but they they're just not good. Like that's been that's been their downfall this season, really. And they're often like, and I don't really know is is Mike Zimmer like a defensive guy? Is he yeah, he's a defensive yeah, guy? Yeah. That's yeah, why exactly. they brought him in. So right, so that's I think that's where this argument kind of stems from is or the argument to fire him is that he's a, he's such a defensive guy and you know that should be like if that's his main focus as a head coach then that should be what's good about your team that's it's the all it's the opposite for for the vikings right now the offense has like they're so good they've got kirk cousins who's i think he's a lot better of a quarterback than a lot of people give him credit to be they've got justin jefferson arguably a top three wide receiver um, dalvin cook arguably a top three running back Alexander Madison, who's like basically Dalvin Cook's clone. I mean, and Adam Thielen, like, dude, they've got so many good players on that offense, and that's not their problem. It's the defense that they're that's that is their problem. And Mike Zimmer hasn't really been able to get that going these past couple of years. And I think that's why they fired him. At, when I first looked at it, I was like, why now? You know, and and I at first I was like, okay, well maybe it's because they've been stagnant for a couple of years while he's been there not the couple of years, but the eight years that he's been there, they haven't really done much in terms of, you know, making playoff runs. But I think, it, I think this was kind of like the last straw where it was, you know, maybe this year they told him like, okay, you either, you either get, you either get the defense right or you're out or something like that. But that's kind of what it felt like to me. Yeah. I think pretty much everything that Hayden said is, 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 is what really I was going to say, Um, you know, he, he's a defensive minded head coach and, the first, I would say the first, like, you know, six or seven years that he was there, even up until, you know, last year, like two years ago, um, the defense was the strong suit of that team. And, and so you think back to, I think when he first got there, you know, it was when Adrian Peterson was still there and you had like Christian Ponder as the quarterback. And it was like, you know, how are you going to get this? Team? And they, you know, they made the playoffs with that team. And it was obviously Peter, you know, AP kind of carried them there, but like, I think his, his kind of whole thing from the beginning, since he's been, since he's been there is like, he's kind of, he's kind of taken a lesser overall talented team and gotten wins that maybe he wasn't expected to get and gotten them to the playoffs in years that he wasn't expected to get to the playoffs. And so that has really been like the pull for Mike Zimmer in the past is like, he's a defensive minded guy. And, and somehow he kind of gets this thing rolling and they never really have, they never really had a solid enough quarterback. And they also, you know, they had, they had Teddy Bridgewater with the top for, for when he was there. And then, you know, the devastating knee injury kind of occurred when he was in Minnesota. So then they were like, okay, well, you know, it's like kind of like, that was just super unfortunate. Right. And so, um, you know, and then they go out and get Kirk Cousins and stuff. And so it's like, I think that they've had, they've had sustainable quarterback play, but they haven't had great quarterback play. Um, and, 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 you know, it's, it's just kind of been enough. Right. And so it, it, that's, I think, kind of what happened. I think it, it nailed it on the head. It's just been stagnant. And that's really the reason that he got fired is like, look, we've been doing this for, you know, for, for almost 10 years now. Um, I think that, you know, I, and, and Hayden that said too, I think very, very, very well that the defense was the is the reason is becoming the reason that they're not winning games and they're missing the playoffs because as much as, you know, as much as you can clown on Kirk Cousins for like the, you know, the wins in prime time. And then the, you know, he just, he'll, he'll look great some days and then he'll look horrible other days. And, you know, as much as, as much as you can kind of say that, obviously, right. Kirk Cousins is never going to be a Super Bowl winning quarterback, but you know, just, just in terms of just making playoff runs, I think, right. Hayden, Hayden nailed on the head. Like you have enough pieces there and, and, and talent to actually compete with the top teams in the, in the NFC when it comes to 
offensive capabilities and you have the players who should be able to do that on defense. Um, I don't know. And, and the other thing too, is like a lot of those players that we mentioned, right. You know, the Harrison Smith, Michael Kendrick, Daniel Hunter, like they've all been there for most of their entire careers. And so it's going on, like I would say, you know, six or seven years now where they've all been together in the same defensive system. So I'm like, why are they getting worse? Right. Like you think that they'd be getting better when they have a bunch of team chemistry and things are going, I know they had a bunch of other, like, I think a couple of years ago, they had defensive back trouble um, when like two of their two of their defensive backs went you know went had like season ending injuries and then they had to like trade them or something I don't know something happened but um and so that may be in like kind of the start of this all and then it's just kind of unraveled since then um but yeah I think overall like when you when you kind of consider the the job that Mike Zimmer had done there it was really better off in the first you know six or seven years and then kind of ever since it's just kind of been teetering away um and 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 I think that that's exactly right you know pretty much what Hayden said like the defense was crazy to start and they were they were making the playoffs with offenses that shouldn't be in the playoffs at all and obviously you know they never really got to an NFC championship they were close um never got you know fully there um and and you know and kind of when you when you work out the kind of the math and it's like okay well they never actually did a ton but it was at least like they were competing and they were, uh, you know, they were a team to be, to be kind of scared of once you got to the playoffs, even because of that stagnant or that, you know, that, that, that uh, stingy, stingy defense. But then as of recently, right. You know, it's just kind of like they, they, they haven't been winning the games that they normally would win. Um, I think the, the, the pinnacle of this season was the Sunday night game. It was like, it was early in the season. It was like week four, week five, Sunday night game. They played the Cowboys. Um, and that was the game that Cooper Rush started because Dak was Dak was hurt or whatever. And, and the Vikings went up early and, you know, it was like halftime. It was around tied. And then the Cowboys, you know, ran away with the game and they won it. And so it was like at that point, you're like, all right, what's going on? Like you're losing to a third string quarterback on the Cowboys who, yes, the Cowboys are a good team. Obviously, they made the playoffs, you know, but um, but yeah, I think that was kind of the probably the breaking point in terms of, you know, Mike Jimmer's job stability. And then obviously they they could have made the playoffs if they had gone on a little win streak to end the year. That didn't happen either. So now they're you know, now they're not making the playoffs and so at, at the end of the day you say okay yeah you had a, a lot of great years with him give him another chance right but it's like well look we've already seen what's, what's happened in the past you know five years just a steady decline it, what i think you know the real question the vikings are asking kind of the reason that all this happened is like what would happen if we if we extended his contract right it would probably just be more of the same of declining you know capabilities and and results for the team so um yeah so definitely agree with everything that Hayden said and I think that you know it's just kind of a time for a new start and maybe you know someone more offensively minded can really tune up that offense to be to reach its true capabilities and that'll kind of overcome the shortcomings of the defense so far but we'll just have to see going forward those were some great points and some great additions by Matt there moving on to our third team of the day we've got the Broncos firing Vic Vangio which was sort of surprising but at the same time not really because we all know how the Broncos have been recently in the past well basically ever since he's gotten there I mean he's he's he spent three years at the Broncos and not much has happened there um, they've they've really only declined like ever since that Peyton Manning team won the Super Bowl and yeah, it's it's just kind of been you know a cra- a crap show ever ever since, um ever ever since that team left and so you know and then uh, Von Miller leaves in like the middle of the season here, um and he goes to the he goes to the Rams and that was kind of just like he was kind of their last he was he was like the last person like the like the last Avenger on that team and then just he just left and it was just yeah, um so yeah they, obviously they didn't have a good season at all uh you know weird quarterback situation with Teddy Bridgewater getting hurt a lot. 
And Teddy Bridgewater got like three concussions this season and Drew Locke came in and tried to play. And he was, he's never really been good. Like he's had, I think he might, I think he's been there for pretty much as long as Vic Fangio. And ever since he's gotten there, like he's just never, he can never get over that hump. He can never show us something good. And so, I mean, he has like, you know, little bits of, of hope every once in a while, but it's, it's not consistent. And so, Vic Fangio was kind of in that situation where like, oh, bad quarterback or inconsistent quarterback, I'm probably going to be fired because of this. And that, you know, that may have been why, but the Broncos are also like, this is one, one other thing I want to touch up on. And it's the, that the Broncos are in a weird position in the AFC. Like they, they're in the AFC West, which consists of the, the chiefs, the chargers, them and the Raiders and the Raiders obviously are, are in the playoffs now. And the chargers would have been in the playoffs if the Raiders hadn't, or the Chargers were going to be in the playoffs instead of the, instead of the Raiders, if they would have won. And so you've basically got three playoff teams in your division right there. And if you like, if you put the Broncos in the AFC North, I, I bet you they would be competitive in the AFC North AFC South. They would definitely be competitive. Maybe not AFC East. That's, you know, it's a little touchy there with, with the bills and the Patriots in that division. But like, if you put them in two other divisions in the AFC, I guarantee you there are, they're going to be competitive off the bat. Um, and so it's, it's just kind of sad that they're in the AFC West and they, you know, they have to play the chiefs twice and they have to play the chargers twice. And even the Raiders now, you know, we have to mention them because they're in the playoffs and playing right now, but yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's a sad situation for, for them. And I think, you know, I've, I've kind of sounded like I've, like I'm sad or like I feel bad for these coaches that get fired. And I, I guess there kind of is, there, there is some sense to that, but at the same time, it's like, you know, as, as they did give him three years and that's, that's kind of like a, I feel like that's kind of like a standard for a lot of NFL teams. It's like, and that's what it should be. At least a lot of NFL teams just do it after one year, which is ridiculous, but like three years is kind of that spot. That's sweet spot where, you know, where you look at him and you say, okay, well, has he really done much for us? If he hasn't, then let's let him go. And so I think that's kind of what happened to Vic Fangio. This is probably my mo the, the 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 firing that I most disagree with, um, and, and it's very sweet and sh- and to the point. I'm not even going to really spend that much time on it. I'm just going to give my case, and it's really hard to dispute. Um, so first of all, Vic Fangio, like Mike Zimmer, is a defensive minded head coach. Um, it, whether it's his schemes or whatever, he he's been you know, he's been a defensive coordinator his entire life. And then when he got, you know, he obviously got hired to be the head coach, you know, his first time, but um, the defense has been great ever since he's been here. And and Hayden mentioned Von Miller left, but the the Broncos defense was still one of the best in the league and has been for the past two years. And yeah, you can say it's because of their stadium. They play in Colorado and it's, you know, it's thin air, whatever, but like the, 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 at the end of the day, like here's the stat that's really going to make you kind of realize like that it's not his fault is like, I think it was, um, I think it was the Broncos are the Broncos this season. So like the 2021 season um, are the only, or it's like the one of the, one of two teams in the last like 20 or 30 years to rank in the top 10 and defensive like yards 
per game and points per game um, for like, you know, a- across the entire NFL and not make the playoffs or have a losing record. I think it was have a losing record. Oh, yeah. Record, right? I saw that. Um, yeah. And it's like, so clearly the defense isn't the issue, right? And if the defense isn't the issue, well, what's, what's, you know, what's the issue? It's the offense. The offense can't score points. They have two great running backs, Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. Both were really great this year. Um, and, and and so, you know, really the only thing we have to point to is the quarterback's position. And that's Teddy Bridgewater and that's Drew Locke. Hayden mentioned it. Neither of them are super talented. Neither of them are super, you know, gonna, gonna, gonna go off, you know, for their team and, and, and be the reason that their team wins. But it's like, Whose whose decision is it to you know who, to to control player personnel and get the quarterbacks and whatever? We forget, I think, sometimes that John Elway, who won the Super Bowl with the Broncos, he was the first overall draft pick in like 1983 or whatever. Um, you know, one of the best quarterbacks of all time was you know he's the president of the Broncos, all right. And so that whole run that they had with Peyton Manning and you know and the crazy offense there, and then they're you know when they won the Super Bowl, it was like that that well they lost the Super Bowl to the Seahawks and they won the Super Bowl against Carolina, and so it's like that whole thing was because of you know John Elway, obviously like running the team, getting the right person. And, and and that's why they were able to win. And so John Lowe kind of became this, he became known as kind of this quarterback guru, right? Like he's, he was a hall of fame quarterback himself. He should know kind of what, what it takes to be quarterback in the NFL, all this stuff. And, and so he's really liable for this. I, in my opinion, it's like, if you're not going to provide Vic Fangio with a quarterback that's capable of at least doing something, right? Like putting up points somewhat consistently, the Broncos would have had a winning record. They would have been in the playoffs, like no doubt because their defense is so good. So that's really the problem. And that's why I really don't think this is a fair firing at all on the part of the Broncos is like, yeah, you know, if you look on the, if you look surface level, you see the Broncos had a losing record. They probably had a losing record last year and maybe even in, in the Fangio, first year too right so it's like yes he's never had a winning winning record in three years clearly you know there's a need to get rid of him but it's like he had the defense rolling and he has for the past three years ever since he's been there the offense is the only thing that's been holding them back and the, the person who's responsible for you know giving him the pieces to be able to make the offense better is 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 John Elway so so that's kind of my argument as to why I just don't agree at all with the with the firing of Vic Fangio and I'm not even going to really say anything else I think that's that really just proves my point there um, and so it'll be interesting to see where they go with it maybe they'll get an offensive minded coach and he'll be able to coach up um you know, coach up Drew Locke a little bit more and maybe, you know, hopefully Teddy Bridgewater, Bridgewater can stay healthy next year and maybe they'll, you know, score some more points. That's what, that's what I'm hoping for at least. Um, but, but yeah, definitely something that I don't necessarily agree with. Obviously if, you know, if they, if they hire an offensive guy and they go crazy next year and they still have a great defense, then, you know, then that proves me wrong, but I, I don't see anything that can really come out of this. That's going to be like an immediate solve in terms of, you know, making the Broncos extremely better next year. Yeah, I think, what you brought up was, was a great point. And yeah, you're right. I can't really dispute that in any way. Uh, yeah. And to a point, I, I do agree with you. It's, it's just that, you know, they, yeah, he, he's the defensive minded guy and they haven't been able to get the offense going. It's literally as simple as that. Another thing that we could, you know, I, I could add to this is that like, if the Broncos were a playoff team, if they were, you know, somehow able to compete with the chiefs, if they had a good quarterback, I'm sure that they would be able to compete with the chiefs. If they were able to do that and they were somehow able to, to, you know, get home field advantage, like Matt said, home field advantage in the playoffs for the Broncos would be like insane, dude, because it is so hard to play there. And it's like, like Matt said, you know, the thin air messes everybody up, messes kicks up, you know, it's, it's really windy usually. So it's like, yeah, that they would be having them having home field advantage in the playoffs would be a lot better than the Titans having home field advantage in the playoffs, in my opinion. But yeah, that's uh, that, that, that was a good, a good 
little set there. I, I like that from us for, for the Broncos. So our last team here is the Dolphins. And this was possibly the, the firing of Brian Flores was possibly the like what got the most hate from the um, from the public. And it's that Brian Flores, everybody thought was, you know, this great coach who's kind of, you know, he's he's I don't know how I don't know exactly how long he's been been there, but you know, the Dolphins had a pretty good season. They they were the only team this season to have a seven game losing streak and a seven game winning streak in the same season. Not they were the only team ever actually to have that happen this season. And so yeah, like that's that's crazy to think about. And that's maybe, you know, kind of like that just sums up what Brian Flores's um Brian Brian Flores's ten, tenure there was. But they my problem with this is that they were about like they they were one of the top um, top prospects in the league or in the offseason, at least to get Deshaun Watson. And they they basically like during the season when Deshaun Watson was thinking about getting traded or, or the Texans were thinking about trading him. They were the team that was like, we will literally give you whatever you want for him. The only thing that we request from you is that this, like all the, all the stuff with Deshaun Watson is cleared, which that's kind of like that's kind of like an impossible request at this point. It's like, why would you, why would you even offer that when that could have, if, if he would have like, if, if he could clear all of his past history and all, all the allegations and everything, he would have done that by now. So I don't know why the dolphins said that. Um, but it was just interesting because like they, they're pretty much the ones that have stuck around this whole time in the conversation of who's going to get Deshaun Watson. And I think now that Brian Flores left they're pretty much out of the conversation of, of getting Deshaun Watson in this off season somehow, which is kind of, that was, that was kind of a surprise to me. Um, when I found that out, I, was, I thought it was kind of interesting because I was like, well, does that mean that Brian Flores was really the one pushing for Deshaun Watson all along? And maybe that had some kind of, maybe that like created some kind of, you know, that maybe that disgruntled the, the rest of the staff or some, something like that, uh, that may have had a, that may have played a part in it, but yeah, I, I think that like Flores, he, he was a good coach um, and he, you know, he created a good culture in, in Miami and they have, you know, they've had one of the best, I think they've had the mile. Well, no, I, they've had one of the best defense, like a top five defense the past two years, really um, this season that they were looking pretty bad at the beginning of the season, but they actually ramped it up um, a lot during that seven game winning streak that they had towards the end of the season or in the second half of the season. So yeah, they, their their defense is great. Um, I, you know, it's just kind of Mad and I have said it. it I, I think their problem on that team is it wasn't Brian Flores. I I still do think it's it's Tua and that offense kind of getting rolling, getting rolling. Everybody's high on Miles Gaskin, who didn't really have much of a season this this year. Everybody was drafting him like really high in fantasy, uh, and I never really saw it. He didn't really do anything this year special. They've got uh, Jalen Waddle and, and Devontae Park. Like their receivers are set. Um, I, I I really just do think it's Tua at this point, and I don't know. I'm not sure if the Brian Flores firing makes me like more mad than any of any of the other coaches that we've talked about today. I don't think if, if it. I don't think it's really more um, uncalled for. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I don't think it's more uncalled for than say like Vic Fangio for for the Broncos, like Matt made a case for. So I think at this point. At first, everybody was really, everybody was really surprised and really mad at at the Dolphins for doing it. But they kind of have, I, I don't know. I, I guess they kind of have a point with it. Um, but right, like they, it was, you know, 
maybe it was time for him to go. I don't know. Two was the problem, in my opinion. That's my point. Yeah, I think that this is the one that nobody really has any information on. I think that you you can make a case for kind of all the other guys as we've done. I mean, we, you know, we've talked for however long, you know, up until this point about, about kind of what the the pros and the cons of how the coaches did and whatever. I I think that the dolphins are, are, they've just been a losing team for so long that by the time they're actually winning, they went nine and seven last year, they went nine and eight this year, um, you know, on the fringe of the playoffs, both years. And, and clearly the players like Brian Flores, they play for him. He's a good coach. He knows his stuff. He's a, he's a disciple of Bill Belichick. Right. And so he's, he's been successful in kind of implementing that system down there in Miami. What I've heard in just reading about this and, and, and listening to other, you know, other podcasts and stuff is, is really, it's, it was like an internal thing. It was, you know, the, the, the GM and, and the player personnel people and whatever, either Brian Flores rubbed them the wrong way or, or, or he was trying to get more money or he was trying to get, I don't know. Again, I'm not going to make accusations. I'm not going to really, you know, spread anything that I don't know to be true, but just in, 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 cause it's, cause nobody really knows, right. Obviously, you know, they're not going to come out and be like, Hey, so um, Brian Flores is trying to bribe us and to give it like, they're not going to say that if that was actually yeah. happening. But what I have heard is that it was more of an internal struggle in, in disagreements between people who are high up in the organization more so than it was, you know, a lack of performance, right. Um, in terms of how well the team did because like I said clearly they've had a winning record the last two years I I don't know why you would fire a guy after you know having a winning record and and like Hayden mentioned a really solid defense uh and competing in the AFC East which is a tough thing to do so I think that you know just just looking at you know the situation from above that's what I'm going to say is like I I can I, I can make a case as for why Vic Fangio shouldn't have been fired but this just doesn't really make sense looking at it from, you know, you know, looking at it from, from surface level. And so that's why I'm thinking that it was, I don't think we should even really kind of conjecture anything that, that could possibly, you know, deteriorate the, the argument for why he should or shouldn't be fired. I think it was just a completely internal thing and people just weren't getting along and, and they had to do what they had to do. So, um, It'll definitely be interesting to see what happens from here because, like I said, they've had a winning record the last two years, and it's it's hard to do that in National Football League, especially when you have not the best situation at quarterback. Again, I, I kind of I threw this out there really earlier in the season. I just you you I don't know what you do with Tua because it's like he's he's capable of managing the game, but he's not capable of of taking control of the game. Right. So when the Dolphins are ahead, like you saw perfectly in that in the game against the Patriots on you know last Sunday, they were playing with a lead. They had they were winning the whole time and, and he didn't make any mistakes. He didn't, you know, he didn't he didn't lose them the game. But if the roles were reversed and the Dolphins were down two touchdowns, you're not relying on two to bring you back and win that game. Whereas if you did have a player like Deshaun Watson, that's a complete that completely different situation. That is a total possibility for them. So yeah, it's just tough because it's like He's not terrible and you still want to see what he can do because he can still progress. It's only going to be his third year. This is only his second year in the league. So th- there's still time for him to get better. But just from what we've seen so far, I don't think he's been that great. And to still see the Dolphins have a winning record two years in a row and their defense be so good, that just points to how good of a coach that Brian Flores is. So that's why I'm saying it's like, it's just a weird situation down there. I'm not going to be able to, we're not ever probably going to know the real reason why he was fired. It's just going to be, it's just going to be kind of, it's going to be interesting to see what they do from here because 
I think that, you know, they can have confidence in Tua. And, and there are people out there who are complete Tua believers and are like, you know, he's just being disrespected. You have to let him. So maybe they will, you know, maybe they will. But uh, but yeah, it, it was this was just a weird situation all around. And, and I'm not sure that the doll, I, I think that as much as, you know, maybe the the disagreements in the, in the, you know, top of the organization were just too much to, to kind of give up a winning record, but I can't see the dolphins going on another, having another nine and eight season. I think that they're, you know, the best that they're going to be able to do is a sub 500 record next year, just, you know, just straight off the bat. So um, yeah. So just weird situation. We'll see what will happen next year, but I don't think, I think the dolphins are on, are just set for an immediate decline right now. That's a pretty good take there. It's kind of a hot take. I think some would say, but yeah, pretty good take there by Matt. I, you know, it, it, it does seem like they are primed for, you know, the, the typical fire your head coach that has been pretty good for you. And you kind of just go downhill from there the next season. If they don't, obviously if they don't get, you know, if they don't surprisingly get Deshaun Watson or somebody like that in the off season. So that's going to wrap it up really for our, um, for our NFL head coaching carousel here. And we're going to move into PGA. Now, our first topic here in the PGA, we've got two topics today. I kind of hinted towards them in the beginning of this podcast. But our first topic is about the new Netflix docuseries um, information that was released. And, and it'll, it'll cover golf's biggest stars, including, you know, Brooks Kepka, Jordan Spieth. Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, all those guys, you know, the, kind of like the top players in, in PGA. And so, you know, this, I, I think this is really cool. And this is, it's, it's similar to the formula one um, docuseries that, that Netflix came out with earlier in the year. And that got a lot of people hooked on formula one. Now I'm not going to say too much here because I'm going to hand it over to Matt, but just some kind of questions here that we have about it, because again, you kind of got to think through this thing and say, okay, well, they've got to do it a certain way because it, like if, if you just show pretty much just like, you know, the, the guys playing golf, it's not going to be interesting because that's, everybody sees that and right. It's, it's, it's not going to be interesting like that. So, you know, do we like this idea um, and what is the potential and will it create the same engagement that, that drive to survive did with, with formula one? Yeah. I think that's the idea of it. Right. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the, you know, that's the ultimate goal here is to create the buzz and the engagement uh, and, and the results and the, you know, the, the, the love for the sport that drive to survive did some, you know, for formula one, because it's, and I've been a formula one man forever. And I did, and I did my own episode on formula one. So I've been watching it my entire life and I'm super into it. Um, but it is very much not a well-known sport in the U.S. just because they hadn't, they don't really, they're not really here a lot, right? It's not something that's just on TV. Um, you kind of have to search for it. It's, it's, it's all over this worldwide, right? Um, but, but, you know, there was a period of time, and especially within the last pretty much like, you know, the last like 10 years, they haven't really traveled to the U.S. So there's not really a, a drive to, or a motivation for people to want to get into it. Um, and the Netflix series completely popped off because how are you going to get American people's attention? You put it on a screen so they can sit there for hours on their butt and not do anything and watch it, right? So um, so that's 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 what I think. And that's what I hope that this docuseries about the PGA Tour will bring. Um I think that I think that Hayden really laid out the perfect idea for how it would be because I, I'm a pretty hardcore golf fan, right? And so I follow 
you know, golf every, every turn, every week, right. There's a tournament from Thursday to Sunday and, and I watch it. I keep up with it. Who's doing well, you know, who's winning the tournaments and stuff like that. And so for me, as a, as a, as a golf fan, I would, if they just show the golfers playing like they normally would, that's not going to do anything for me because I can see that every week anyway. And that's what I do. I watch it, you know, all the time anyway. So the cooler part about this show, which is, I think, the true potential of it, is showing inside these guys' lives, right? Which is, which is to say, you know, how much, you know, kind of where they live, what, you know, what's the, what's the, what's their, what's their travel schedule? What's the tournament schedule? Because it's so much different than any, any other sport, right? Team sports, you have like buses, charter planes, all this stuff where everything kind of goes together, or whatever. The golf is an individual sport. So, so these guys are like booking their own hotel rooms. They're, they're flying their own, you know, well, not flying their own planes, but they're, you know, they're booking their own flights and, and, and doing that stuff. And so it's, a, it's a completely, it's like, if you want it, and it's very, it's very, um, it's kind of like up to the golfers too, in, in terms of like whether they want whether they want to play or not. Like I said, there's a tournament every single week, but like you can kind of pick and choose which ones you want to compete in. So if you want to, you know, do every single tournament all year, like you have to figure all that out. And so that's really the interesting side of this is like we see what happens on TV. We see these guys play golf. What we really want to see is is what goes on behind the scenes, and that's what Drive to Survive did for Formula One, which was extremely interesting because again, like I said, I've been a fan of Formula One for my entire life. And and the reason that I was glued to Formula One was the inside behind the scenes in the in the garages and, and the drivers hearing their backstories, hearing that the team principal, which is essentially like a head coach in Formula One, um, their backstories, how they got into Formula One, the amount of people that it takes to, to make a Formula One team go and, and, and you know, and the, 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 you know, the money that's involved in the sport and, and the competition between between the drivers and the rivalries that you get, like all of that was so cool to see because you don't get inside an inside look at that during the during the, you know, the regular season of when the races are going on, whatever. And so they would spend, you know, they, they spent like 80% of the time doing behind the scenes coverage of the drivers and what was happening, what like that and then they only spent like a couple minutes uh every episode doing like who won each race right which is like that's how it should be for golf it should be like you know who's who's in a rivalry right now who's not playing well what are they doing to change their game and kind of you know switch around their 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 swing style or changing up their clubs or whatever like again from an outside view it's like that that sounds so stupid why would you care but i think that obviously netflix knows what they're doing right they may drive to survive popular for americans so they, i think they can do the same for golf and obviously it's a different it's a different you know intensity in terms of a sport altogether right so like the intensity of driving at 200 miles an hour knowing that you could literally turn the car the wrong way and your life would be over in an instant is a lot different than like hmm bob where are we going to where are we going to take this two iron butto we're going to go we're going to go for the hole or 250 yards to the left in the sand bunker it's 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 totally different but i think that it really is going to be or at least i hope it is i think the potential for it is to be a lot more in inside the game uh, inside the lives of these players who who are great at golf um but but who kind of we only see from a tv perspective and so you know if, if dustin johnson who's the number one or you know john rom is the number one player in the world if he's not playing well one week he's not going to be covered on the TV coverage, but it's like, I want to see what's wrong with him, right? He's the number one player in the world. I get that you have to show the winners and, you know, and, and cover the, the guys who are doing well, but it's like, let me see inside his life and, and what he's doing to correct his game. And maybe if he's taking,
taking time off? What is he doing during that? I think that would be really interesting. Um, and, and I do think that that's probably where Netflix will go with it because if you just show the golf, it's like, again, you know, you can already watch that on the golf channel pretty much every weekend. Yeah. I'm in the same headspace as Matt here. I pretty much everything he said, I ditto that. But another thing that, and this kind of falls in the category of showing what they do outside of golf or showing what they do outside of the, their tournaments that they play in, you know, obviously like they, they obviously practice and they have special ways of practicing They're professionals. I mean, they, you know, they probably have like weird drills that they do to make, you know, to kind of keep their shot consistent and everything like that. One thing, and if you play golf, this is a lot more relevant and you would like this a lot more, but one thing I'm looking for is like, I want to see them on the range and kind of just like, if you can have like a, you know, 10 minute one-on-one session where it's, they're just filming one of these guys on the range and they, they kind of just, they, it's almost like an inside the mind type of thing where they like tell you what they're working on and they tell you, you know, how there's, how their swing is feeling. And if it's feeling off, whatever it's, it's, it's one of those things where like, you know, if, if you golf, if you play golf, you understand it because there's so many things going through your mind when you're swinging that club. It's it, I mean, it's the sport that I think of when I think of something like it's a lot easier. I mean, it's a lot harder than it looks, you know, these guys make it look so easy on the course. And that's another thing that's like, if they're just, if they're just showing these guys on, on tournament days, it's not going to be cool because everybody, I mean, everybody on tour is good. And so you kind of, I, I want them to like kind of put it in perspective, maybe to like the average golfer, you know, kind of put their, what they think of when they're playing in, you know, in, in our minds, that would be, that would be insane because that's, that's really what they should do. Because again, these guys are professionals. They, they're, they're just a different breed when it comes to golf. And yeah, it's like, if I think it's going to attract a lot of attention, I don't know if it's going to attract as much attention as, as the, as the formula one series did just because it's golf. And a lot of people have a lot of, like, they have these just totally unfair, um, uh, presuppositions about golf that it's like this boring sport and nobody likes it and it nobody should ever watch it a lot of people think that about golf like people that don't watch golf like us or people that don't play golf just automatically think oh it's so boring because i've seen it for five seconds on tv and i you know just saw a ball laying on a on a green or whatever it's like people that think like that i think are just not going to really be inclined to watch this because they don't again they don't get how hard it, it is to do and how, how hard these guys really work and how, you know, what goes into their practice. People that don't play the sport of golf, but watch it. I, I feel like there's not that many people out there that do that. Um, but yeah, again, it's, it's going to be, like I said, if, if they include the stuff about what goes through these guys' minds and how they practice, how they prepare for tournaments and everything like that. Um, if they do a lot of that, I don't know that people that don't play golf, but still watch it will kind of be as interested Um, I know that I, like, like I said, I'll be really interested if they do that, but that's, that's also just because I watch YouTube videos after YouTube videos of just, you know, people like trying to teach me how to swing my golf club and it's the same tips every time. And I try to implement them and I never really can keep it consistent. And it's just, yeah, it's, it'll be cool though. If, if they do that, because these guys are professionals and like, I've seen videos on YouTube of Tiger Woods talking for 15 minutes about his swing and you know, shaping every shot and, and calling exactly where his ball is going to land on the range. And that's just mem- mesmerizing to me. So I really hope that they do 
come out with this, you know, with this really good series. That is a little bit of what Matt talked about, you know, the whole like booking their own flights and and grabbing their own hotels and kind of the behind the scenes of of um, you know the the non golf stuff. But I think they they should include a lot of the golf stuff that isn't tournament based. Um, so yeah, that that's just kind of what I want to see. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with your idea. And I didn't even mention that about, right, their mindset, what really showing how good these players are in comparison to people who think they're going to go. It, it is actually insane. Like, and if you don't, if you don't play, you don't know, but it's like it, it, guys who are, who you would think would be professionals are like not even close to the level. Of these yeah. guys. They're so good. And I think that that's, again, like Hayden said, I think that would be really captivating is really somehow showing the comparison of like, how you know how, how seriously good these guys are because i think that would draw people in who are new to the sport right because that's what you're trying to do at the end of the day is just attract customers attract people who don't know what it is to really show them what the sport is but also show them like what the possibilities that you know that, that these guys are creating just being pga tour professionals and so that kind of perfectly leads us into this into our you know our final topic of the day and the second golf topic which is the players, you know, the PGA Tour are so good. And so our first tournament of the year, the Century Tournament of Champions, uh, finished up last Sunday in Kapalua. It was in Hawaii. It was beautiful. It was awesome. Um, Cam Smith uh, barely held on for a wire-to-wire win over John Rahm. Um, but the big story coming out of this is that Cam Smith's winning score was 34 under par, which is like, it's insane. I mean, that's, I, I can't even comprehend. Like, that's like, you never see that. All right. Um, and so the, the big question here is like, are these guys getting too good for the courses they play? And at the end of the day, is it even entertaining to watch a tournament uh, where they, these, these guys just go out there and they completely tear up the course. Yeah. So the first thing I want to, I want to establish here is Cameron Smith. If you guys have not seen Cameron Smith, if you guys don't watch golf, you don't really know what I'm talking about, but like, if, even if you don't watch golf, you could probably, imagine a golfer that you know has 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 nice he's nice and cut up he's uh you know he's got a nice haircut he's he's got a nice figure um you know and an, an athlete right dude cam smith you you can't look like joe exotic and be playing golf you know you like you can't you can't you can't look like a well I'm, I'm not gonna say like comparison. I, yeah now that i think about it i didn't yeah dude I was he trying, looks, he looks i'm like, always trying to like think about how to how to like I'm like, does he look like a mole or like a rat? <laughs> like kind of, but yeah, Joe Exotic is that's like the perfect analogy. Yeah, dude. He looks he looks like a country singer. He has this like weird mullet kind of thing, and he has a blonde mustache. And it's just like, dude, what what is going on? But he's so good at golf. And you know, he's kind of one of these young players that, that's that's taken the 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 tour by by storm here. And it's just it's really like it was really incredible to see that. I didn't really watch any of the any of the tournament. I obviously just saw the final standings and I saw that he was 34 under. And I think there is an argument here for like, yeah, the, you know, they should make these guys play at some tougher courses. There are some courses that are easier than others. They're, you know, the, the, the courses like by the beach, they do a lot of courses by, or not a lot, but there are some courses that are near the beach or like near the coastline, which those are usually really hard for the players to, to get good at. But a lot of these, um, a lot of these like links courses are kind of easy for a lot of these guys, especially the guys that can hit the fairways. Well, um, you know, the links course is basically if you're not in the rough, like you're in a pretty good position because there's not much turning. There's it's kind of just like straight shots or straight drive, um, straight iron shot up onto the green. And, you know, if, if you hit a bunker, then oh, well. And so 
Yeah, I think I think there is an argument to make these courses a little bit harder, but at the same time, from an entertainment standpoint, and this, you know, this is kind of just me. And I well, I feel like this this question is more the public's opinion based because again, these like these guys don't care what they're shooting as, as long as they're winning, they're you know, they're gonna be happy. And so it's not really affecting them if they're playing harder courses. It's just gonna if 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 they're if the course is affecting the whole field of play, then it shouldn't matter to them. Um, but w- what I do think is that if they do make courses harder, it's going to make it a little bit more boring to not boring to watch, but it's, it's not going to be as cool because it's really like, no matter what, it's really cool to see these guys go really, really low. And if you're, you know, if, if you have a tournament where the final, you know, the, the, the leader after four rounds of golf is like, you know, five under it's like, yeah, that's, that's really good score. But were you really seeing a lot of cool stuff happen in that round? A lot of the cool stuff comes out of birdies and eagles and everything like that, which leads to a guy going minus 34 or, you know, for the whole weekend. And so I think an argument against making courses like a lot harder is the fact that it just won't be as entertaining. We won't see these guys, you know, make the incredible shots that they do. Um, But I, I guess you can still get, cool shots out of, you know, out, out of a course that a lot of guys just score even par on or whatever. But yeah, I, th- I think it's cool to get to see them shoot so low. I think it's like, it also makes it kind of interesting because then more, I feel like more people or there's more guys in that have a chance of um, that have a chance of getting up in the lead. Um, I, f- I feel like if it's harder courses, the, the same guys kind of will, will take control for most tournaments that may not be, a thing, but I, I don't know. I, I kind of just see that happening where the same guys will take over every tournament, you know, tournament after tournament. But I feel like if, if there is a way to go really low, um, you know, which all these guys can do, it kind of, it kind of enlarges the playing field for, for, you know, some of these smaller golfers to kind of get up to the top. Yeah. So just as a preface, these, both these tournaments are in Hawaii um, and they're, they're tough courses, but they're not like, they're like, courses that are open to the public a lot of the a lot of the the, the courses that the pga tour plays on um are well there a lot of them are like most of them are like country clubs but it's like they make the course tougher for the pga tour when they come through i i think that these are, are I, I don't think they do much to them in terms of like making them tough for the guys to to play here and so these are really the only two tournaments all year that you're going to see um uh, such low scores at i think that you're like throughout the rest of the season in the PGA, I mean, pretty much the entire rest of the year, nobody's going to reach 34 under. So that's, that's kind of the, that's kind of like the, I think, I think the thing to kind of come to expect here in the next, you know, as we go through the the next few months here is like the courses are going to start getting easier. This is just because it's in Hawaii and it's, you know, it's a resort and all that. And so it's, um so it's a little bit different, but um yeah, I don't know. I think, I think I, I can see both sides of it. I think that extremely hardcore golf fans, which I'm not like, I mean, I love to watch and I keep up with it. I'm not like super into, I don't, you know, I, I don't do a ton of research and, and keep up with the statistic and all that. Those types of people don't like how easy the courses are. Um, and they want to see the guys be challenged. Um, but I, I kind of am on Hayden's side here too, is like the, the for the entertainment aspect, you do want to see these guys, you know, kind of make great shot or, or score low. But I, I think that, I don't know. I think really the argument for it is like, if you're, if you're keeping up with it, right. So if you're checking the scores after every day, then you don't want to see them at 34 under, because that's just means that it's like basically just luck of the draw for who, you know, who can get hot with their putter on one day. But 
for for something like the U.S. Open that we had this past, uh, you know, in 2021, the winning score was like seven under, eight under, right? And, and so it really was, if you're watching it live, especially on like a Sunday, right, when it's like the person at the end of the, you know, has the highest score at the end of this day will win the tournament, um, it, it really is so, so much cooler, I think, to, to have a challenging golf course because it, it, it incentivizes the guys to take risks and, and take shots they normally wouldn't. Um, and those can end up being some of the coolest plays of all time. I think, you know, one that, that automatically comes to mind um, is Bubba Watson's shot on, on, in the Masters, I think 2014, um, when, you know, he's, he's like in the trees. There's no shot that he makes it out of the, 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 the deep rough and whatever. And he has to make it onto the green and he has the lead and everybody's like, oh my gosh, he's going to lose it. And he's like, he shoots lefty and he like, he like he shot like a curved ball, which was like it literally would did like a circle in the air, like it almost like yeah. it was like a boomerang shot, like made it onto the green, he made birdie, and he, and he went on to win the tournament. It's like those types of things are are what we remember forever. Those tough shots that like magically you know work out and win a guy a tournament. Um, obviously that um, obviously a lot more was made out of that because it was the Masters, but but you know, but still, I think that you know if every tournament was just like these guys are sticking it to four feet within the green and then they just put it in for birdie every time. Like that's, again, it's cool to see that they are so good and that they can tear up a course like that. But at the end of the day, like if they're not being challenged, it's not really fun to watch on TV. I think the only, really the only fun part about watching these tournaments for me, at least has been like the Island shots, right? Because it's on Hawaii. So you see the whales and all that. And the, you know, the, they do a good job of kind of making the scenery a part of the, you know, of the whole entertainment experience. But with the golf, it was just kind of like, it, it was, it's just, kind of boring to watch these guys because they're so good you know shoot their driver right into the middle of the fairway you know hit their iron right to you know five feet within five feet of the hole um so so that's kind of the that's kind of the argument against it but again i I think for you know if you're just kind of getting into golf and understanding kind of the scoring system and how that works like it is i think probably cool to see some lower scores because you can really appreciate you know how 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 easy they make it look, but how good they are to kind of have to make it look that way in the first place. So that's that's kind of my my thing with this is like I understand both points in the argument. It just depends on kind of what scale and, and and how serious of a golf fan you are in terms of where you land on the argument. Yeah, that that's a great point, and I like your argument for the opposite of what I said. Is that you know kind of like we're gonna see guys taking risks on the golf course, you know, and especially like on a, on a Sunday, late on a Sunday when the tournament's about, you know, on the line about to be over and they just make this crazy shot to, to keep their lead or to win or whatever. Like that's, yeah, that, that would be really cool. But I think for, again, for generally to make it more interesting kind of across the board, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I think it, it would be, it would be cool to kind of maybe, and maybe they do have like some courses that are really hard and then others that are kind of just, um, you know, courses that these guys coast through and and tear up like matt said but yeah that would it would be cool i guess to kind of implement some harder courses at first like you know a small amount of them at first and then kind of if it if it receives good you know good feedback both from the golfers and from from the public then it's like okay well then we made we we need to make some of these courses harder i don't know that's that that'd be kind of cool but yeah that kind of wraps up our um our, our content for today Again, more of a relaxed episode here, and we—I know Matt's watching the game right now, the the Raiders and the Raiders and um, Bengals game, and it's it's one thing I will say about this game is like, well, Joe. First of all, Joe Burrow is taking shots. Like he's he's been taking shots all game. Um, I just I just watched for like a little. I've been turned around here most of the time, but every once in a while I'll I'll turn around and, and watch the game for a little bit. But 
yeah, like I turned around for, I think, maybe like a minute and Joe Burrow threw two shots <laughs> or two, you know, long balls already. And so I was, yeah, that was cool to see. But um, they're also using Jamar Chase in like a weird way. They're, I think they knew that they were going to keep, that the Raiders were going to key in on him um, at, at the beginning here. And so I think what the Bengals are doing is they're just using him in like end arounds and stuff. Like they're just, they're basically just giving him the ball and, you know, hoping that he's going to make, be able to do something around, around the edge in space. So that's pretty cool. Um, Matt, do you have any comments about the game or not? Uh, no, not really, because it's going to be over and won't matter by the time this podcast comes out anyway. So good job. Hayden. yes. Well, okay. Well, okay. <laughs> That's all right. But yeah, uh, we are about done here. Thank you guys for listening. Um, if you guys, you know, again, kind of just to, to bump this as I usually do every, every couple episodes, just share with your friends. If, if you, if you're listening right now, share with your friends and family, um, you know, leave us reviews on on Apple podcasts and stuff. I don't even know if you can do that on Spotify. I don't know if you can leave reviews and everything like that. Um, we also have a big listener base that isn't from either of of these things. According to our analytics, we have a big, pretty big listener base that isn't from Apple or Spotify. So um, we're or not big, but a, a good a, a good listener base that isn't from those two things. So if you're listening on like RSS or something else, then thank you, too. Um, share with everybody that you know. And yeah, we'll be back here on Tuesday with our next episode. We'll have a, definitely some playoff talk because everything will be done by then. That Monday night game will be finished. So the first super wild card weekend round will be done and we'll be, we'll be going over that. And um, I don't know what else, probably some college basketball or NBA or NHL, one of those or a couple of those. So yeah, stay tuned for that. And we will see you guys next time. <laughs>